Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. Welcome back, my audience, to season three of A Hateful Homicide. It's me, your host, Mallory Jenna Robinson, and I just wanna say thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, I also want to provide some additional updates and some thanks to the amazing people and organizations and yourself who have made A Hateful Homicide possible. Oh my goodness, you all, we are in season three. Um, Also, just some incredible updates to start. A Hateful Homicide is also now A Hateful Homicide dot net yes my audience we officially have a website please go you can catch all of season one and season two episodes on a hateful homicide.net and then also please feel free to go ahead and subscribe um again we do have our um you know a hateful homicide instagram as well as our hateful homicide um on Facebook. So all of these platforms are available. Follow us. Um, and also please listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. A big kudos to Apple Podcasts and Spotify for just your amazing support and visibility, as well as LATV, um, the Orange County LGBT Center, and so many other incredible platforms who have just helped the Human Rights Campaign of Los Angeles and many more. Thank you all so much for your continued support with raising awareness um, and sharing those stories um, of the victims of a hateful homicide. So um, some case updates. I wanted to give you an update regarding the case of Poe Black. Um, Right now uh, there is still an open investigation into Poe's hateful homicide. Remember that campsite chaos back in season two. Um, So right now they're still searching for knives. They have an active lead and we did receive a lead via I, um, our email here that I did share um, with the Slap CDPD. So um, again, they are following that tip that um, that was sent um, through. So thank you so much um, to that anonymous tipster. And then also, I wanted to provide an update uh, regarding the murder, uh, the hateful homicide of Carmen Guzman, her partner, um, a um, Aquan. Um, he ultimately was released. Uh, 
a couple of years ago, um, right around the time of the pandemic. So, you know, I know in the season two um, episode of Carmen Guzman, A Domestic Disturbance, I talked about, um, you know, him being in prison, which he was in prison um, for quite a substantial amount of time, but he has been recently um, released um, since the pandemic. And just wanted to give you an update on those. Okay, y'all. Now, we are going to get ready to get into the first episode of the season three premiere of A Hateful Homicide. This case, my audience, um, before I prepare to get into it, it really drew at my heart because Isla Nettles in 2013 was a 21-year-old trans woman who was a fashion design student. She was living in Harlem. And I think of myself and I just think of the woman that she was so destined to be. And it was important to tell her story. There was a lot of delayed justice um, in this case. And so um, I believe, strongly believe that this is the time um, to give this victim a voice. So without further ado, I present to you a season three, episode one, The Hateful Homicide of Islan Nettles. 120 seconds. The murder of Islan Nettles, 120 seconds. Saturday, August 17th, 2013, Harlem, New York. Janet Moss. I'm here today to support my living sisters who are here and the sisters who have fallen and to speak out about the fact that trans women of color are not statistics. We are not stereotypes. We are women. We are human beings. We're beautiful, brilliant, brown, um, and that we deserve better. And I think that we're demanding better. I would like us to gather together when it's not so sad, when it's not a memorial or a vigil. I would like this many people, our allies, politicians, um, peacemakers, um, staffs of organization to come out when we're organizing for other things as well. We're demanding that people stop, stop stopping and frisking us and stop profiling our sisters and also um, stop abuse and violence that happens all the time and stop the exiling in so many spaces. And there's so much more that we are than just the violence that comes on to us. Javon Martin, I'm out here because a trans sister of mine was slain right down the block from here. And we need to stand up for our rights, transgender rights, human rights, LGBT rights. Rights is a person, period. And if we come together in numbers, we can make a difference. A lot of my trans family are not visible because they fear for their own safety. And that's what's sad. You know, the trans women, they, they support a lot of organizations and these organizations have to support them. It's Saturday, August 17th, 2013 in Harlem, New York, it would be the backdrop of one of the most horrific homicides. 21-year-old transgender female, Isla Nettles, is walking along just past midnight on that Saturday with two of her friends who also identified as trans women of color in the city of Harlem. 
It would be where she also encountered 25-year-old cisgendered black male, James Matthew Dixon. When she encountered James Dixon, within 120 seconds, what would happen next would shock even the most seasoned Harlem detectives. It all began in one of the districts in the boroughs of New York City. New York City, one of the largest cities in the United States, has five boroughs, and Harlem is one of them. Along in the Manhattan District, it is home to 21-year-old transgender female, Isla Nettles, is where she grew up, is where she began her young life, and it's unfortunately where it would be cut short, where the hateful homicide would be bestowed upon her by that of 25-year-old cisgendered male, James Dixon. Now, what happened, my audience, and thank you all so much for joining. It's so good for you all being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode, the first season. Oh my goodness, season three, first episode. And we have all of this incredible information to share with you all regarding the hateful homicide of Islan Nettles. Again, 120 seconds of this encounter and um, unspeakable things will begin to happen to this beautiful 21-year-old inspiring fashion designer, fashion student, uh, intern, and so a lot of great, great information to tell you about Isla Nettles. Um, In this episode today, we're going to, you know, um, you're going to hear from the suspect, from the actual convicted felon, um, James Dixon, um, and a reflection more recently within the 2019 era where he did an interview um, and, and reflecting on the 2013 hateful homicide the side of Islan Nettles. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting as you hear that later on in this episode, but it really, again, gives you an insight into some of the psyche of these perpetrators. And, um, and, and it's a very common thing that we've heard in season one, as well as season two, right? This trans panic defense, this defense where individuals will react in such a way that when they do not know that someone is trans, that they react violently. And this is what happened in this case. Um, and according to James Dixon, when uh, when everything unfolds. But again, we're going to get into this a little bit more. So let's delve into this case, my audience. It's Saturday, August 17th of 2013. Isla Nettles, an African-American 21-year-old trans woman, is walking along Frederick Douglass Boulevard between 147th and 148th Streets when she and two of her really good friends, both trans women of color, encountered James Dixon, a 25-year-old cisgender, cisgender black male, and six of his friends. And within 120 seconds, these two, where they would have this, what seemed to be initially this innocent exchange, would ultimately lead to Islam clinging to life. James sees Islan walking down 104th Eight Eighth Street. He sees her. He goes up to her. Innocently enough, he flirts. The two hit it off. Um, and within 120 seconds, one of James's friends becomes suspicious of Islan and her friends. Just two minutes. And he blurts out, these are trans women. 
When James Dixon heard his friend Paris Wilson, 20-year-old cisgender male, blurt this out, he then begins to assault 21-year-old trans female Islan Nettles. He grabs her. He looks at her closely, pushes her onto the ground, the pavement where she hits her head. And if that wasn't enough, then he jumps on tops of her and beats her, has his fist falls, and gives her over 10 vicious blows to her body. And then he gets up and he flees along with his six friends. Islan and her two friends, her two friends both have also been attacked, but not as viciously and not as hatefully as Islan, who is now unconscious on the Frederick Douglass Boulevard in Harlem, New York. Her friends call 911. And the Harlem Police Department immediately comes out to the area. Islan is rushed to the Harlem Medical Center and she is placed in a medically induced coma due to the amount of swelling around her brain. The detectives on the scene wanted to know what happened. They interviewed Islan's friends, who shall remain anonymous. They interviewed her, both of them, and they wanted to know what happened. They have this bloody evidence on Frederick Douglass Boulevard. They want to know how did this encounter take place. And the friends tell Detective um, John Schwartz um, of the Harlem Police Department that, that they were walking. They had just came back from, um, you know, hanging out with some friends. Um, They had just, you know, been enjoying their day. It was, you know, a few minutes after midnight. And they were just heading home. And so, um, you know, they're all walking down Frederick Douglass Boulevard. When all of a sudden they get a, hey, mama, you looking good, shoddy. What's up? And when that happens, like a lot of 20-year-olds, right? Some of us identify as 20-year-olds, young adults. And, you know, I certainly did, you know. And I can recall, you know, the flattery, right, that you have in being validated as at, at, within your femininity, within being a woman in that womanhood. And so for Islan, I'm sure this was very jovial. It was very, like pleasing and happy in a momentous moment for her to be walking home after this great, you know, Friday night with her friends. Um, and then to then encounter James Dixon, who seemed initially this harmless kind of flirtatious, you know, uh, thin framed, built African-American guy. He puts on the charm. She smiles. He smiles. And innocently enough, that should have been the end of it. But when Paris Wilson became suspicious, and when he blurted out that his suspicions included these women identifying as trans, James Matthew Dixon wasn't having it. And him, in his mind, felt that his manhood had been challenged. So what does he do? He attacks the closest trans woman in the group to him. And that was Islan, the one who he had been flirting with, the one that he felt had caused him to now possibly be uh, questioned. And all of this led to this compulsion, this suspense of buildup tension within 120 seconds, my audience, of James Dixon grabbing this beautiful, thin-framed, 21-year-old fashion student, fashion design student, 
taking her body, slamming it into the pavement, bashing her head into the wall, into the concrete, into the concrete streets. And you have this, this, this imagery of Islam thinking to herself that just a simple hi, a salutation, a hello, a flirtation has now led to this. Her clinging to her life in the Harlem Medical Center. You know, and as we get a little bit more into this case, I want to take a moment and shift over, you know, into exactly, you know, Islan Nettles and and who she was. You know, this this beautiful, incredible trans woman who is just, you know, so full of life and energy and enthusiasm. And to know that this was cut so heinously, so easily um, for simply just being herself. It's, you know, still one of those things that you just cannot wrap your head around. Isla Nettles was born in 1992 and to Dolores Nettles. Um, and she was just an incredible daughter and sister and friend and granddaughter. And, you know, in 2013, my audience, Isla Nettles, was, was really at the top of her game. She was thriving. She was working at a Medici um, fashion house. And she worked there, you know, taking photos. She was learning the ropes. Um, She was really getting into her career as a fashion design student. She was very outspoken uh, when it came to trans issues. She definitely was not someone who hid um, behind the she. She was already so well-versed within her young life. She had a LinkedIn page, which also stated that she, again, was an intern assistant designer at the fashion at the Harlem Fashion Company again a Medici. Um, she also um, not only did that but just to give you an idea that early on within her middle school years she stated that she, quote unquote fashion became a definite decision for my life after my first show with my hand designed garments in high school at the 11th grade. So, you know, she does, She has done a lot of things. She also, again, served as an assistant photographer and fashion instructor at the Harlem Children's Zone. She also took classes at the New York College of Technology and attended the Bread and Roses Integrated Arts High School in Harlem. And, you know, the neighborhood where she grew up at, it was relatively LGBTQ friendly enough. Um, she would go and work out at the Nutriv fitness studio and a really good um, friend of hers, the owner of Dutra Fitness Studios, um, Dan Jennifer, can you recall Islan and just, you know, just thinking so highly of her and how bubbly she was and how she would always come in and show her different sketches and her different designs and to know that just within five minutes of the midnight, after midnight on August 17th of 2013, she meets James Dixon And within 120 seconds of that conversation, she's now clinging to life on the ground while he's ran off. And so, you know, my audience, as we continue to go through this case, I now want to give you an idea of 
what began to unfold within this case after the hateful homicide on August 17th of 2013. So we have Islan Nettles, right, who is now in this coma at the Harlem Medical Center, clinging to life. Her mother, her family, all of them are at her bedside. Then you have James Dixon, who is out roaming the streets of Harlem, trying to get away and evade authorities. So let's see exactly what's going on, my audience. So my audience, as you could hear, just several days after the hateful homicide of Islan Nettles, Jane Sixon goes into the Harlem Police Department and turns himself in. He has a story to tell. He tells Detective Shorts that when he encountered Islan Nettles, he saw what he stated, quote unquote, a beautiful woman. When his friend Paris Wilson disclosed that Islan Nettles and her friends were trans, he was already intoxicated, inebriated, high on drugs. It was Friday night. He had been hanging out with six of his friends in Harlem when all of a sudden they saw some women, was hoping to be able to go and have some casual fun. Well, that all blew up when Paris Wilson disclosed that Islan Nettles was trans. And because Islan didn't disclose herself, according to James, he felt disrespected. And so what does he do? He attacks her 
And as you heard, not just once, but multiple times. And so he turned himself in on August 20th of 2013. At the time when he turned himself in, um, Islan Nettles was still on life support at the Harlem Medical Center. She did not officially, you know, succumb to her injuries until that Thursday, August 22nd of 2013. And so now you have this time frame of the 17th, the 20th, and the 22nd of where Islan is brutally beaten just five minutes into midnight. Then you have her clinging to life for five days. Within those five days, you have James and Dixon, who ultimately decides to turn himself in, partly because he knew that Islan's family was looking for him and they were looking, but also because he knew that he wanted to take pride in what he did. He felt honored in the fact that he had committed such a vicious and ferocious attack on such a beautiful and innocent woman who did nothing but other than say hi back to him. Remember, he initiated the conversation. So my audience, as we continue to go through this case, you know, I just want to give you a little bit more context. When he turned himself in, James Dixon was released. And um, even after... uh, you know, Islan succumbed to her injuries on August 22nd of 2013. It still wasn't until March 4th of 2015 when he would officially be indicted on manslaughter charges. Um, And this was because of the fact that, you know, there was this element of a panic and this is something again that we've talked about a bit and uh, and you're going to hear a little bit more about this in a little bit my audience but again this this trans and gay panic defense we heard this um within season two again with um brandon tina's case as well as some others where individuals when encountered with someone who is um who is, as you know, not cis hetero, right? Someone who is trans or someone who's queer, someone who they quote unquote do not identify with and or may not even support, that is when this panic comes in and it also responds in physical violence and oftentimes homicides. And this is where the hate crime comes in at. But, um, you know, in this case here, um, Dixon was not charged with murder, um, which would have required proof of intent. And because there was no proof of intent, um, since he proclaimed that when he approached Islam, that he was under the assumption and presumption that she was um, cis-identified. So therefore, since there was no deliberate intent, like he didn't see that she was trans and then therefore attacked her initially like he went up uh, casually approaching her so since there wasn't no malicious intent initially um unfortunately that hate crime statute was not added to um his charges so he was um, charged with first degree manslaughter and and that is what he ultimately pled guilty to and was sentenced to 12 years um you know, during his confession, Dixon said that his friends had mocked him for flirting with Nettles, not realizing that she was um, transgender. Furthermore, in an incident a few days prior to the beating, his friends had teased him after he flirted with two other trans women while he was doing pull-ups on a scaffolding at 138th Street and 8th Avenue. 
Dixon would plead guilty and again be sentenced to 12 years. But there is this, you know, again, this buildup. And this is where, again, these these, ta- these twists and turns within this case, because just a few days before, you know, just 10 days before the hateful homicide of his own nettles, James Dixon had flirted with a couple other trans-identified women. And again, he didn't, you know, according, have, you know, this idea. And, you know, regardless of whether he did or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that someone's life has been lost because he cannot handle, as you heard, his friends picking on him, mocking him, teasing him. And so, you know, as we go through this case, my audience, it's just really important for us to think about, you know, Islan and the impact that she made um, within society. And as you could hear in the audio evidence, you know, it, August of 2014, a year after they did this beautiful, beautiful tribute to um, to Islan Nettles. And there was this call for justice, you know, for for action. Of course, unfortunately, as I stated earlier, and justice did not come until March of 2015. So around August of 2014, this was the one year anniversary of the hateful homicide of Islan Nettles, where just within 120 seconds, she has now um, been basically beaten to death by 25-year-old cisgender James Dixon. Um, You know, there was still this call to action and call to justice because he had already confessed three days after the hateful homicide. So the fact that he hadn't been indicted yet and all of these things at this time, Dolores and her family wanted justice and was demanding that. The mother of a transgender woman who was beaten and died one year ago. Still no charges in connection with her death. Today her mother spoke out, hoping that will soon change. Eyewitness News reporter Darla Miles joins us from Harlem tonight. Darla. Joe, prosecutors have said in open court that they don't have enough to take this case to a grand jury. One of the things that makes this case so complex at this point is that they have one man who was charged with assault initially, then you have a second later claiming responsibility. Well, after all of this one year, Dolores Nettle says she's tired of waiting. No more birthdays, no more graduations. From this point on, there will only be annual commemorations of the day Islam Nettles left this earth. It's a day her mother Dolores torturously plays over and over in her head. What I could have done to make it better, I mean, somebody could call me, I could have came up there, maybe I could have stopped you know, things like that. Last August, her daughter, Islan, was walking on Frederick Douglass Boulevard near West 147th Street in Harlem. A group of men began making nasty comments to the 21-year-old transgender fashion design student. Investigators say it became violent. One man beating Islan in the head. Five days later, she died. I believe whoever was there, and it was quite a few of them there, even though you didn't do the punching, it was still Paris Wilson was arrested and initially charged with misdemeanor assault, but a second person later came forward, claiming responsibility for possibly assaulting Islam. Prosecutors were ultimately forced to drop the assault charges against Wilson, and all of this has prompted transgender activists to push investigators to make an arrest in the case. We want justice for Islam. We want justice for every trans woman that's ever been murdered. A spokesperson for the 
Manhattan DA's office tells Eyewitness News, this very much remains an active investigation. Forget, but I'll never forget, like, you can go home and relax that I've been there until I can't. This is the memory it's no fun. Now, the assault happened here near 147th at Frederick Douglass Boulevard, and investigators are still very much looking for leads in this case. So if you remember anything, if this story just happens to jog your memory, please call Crime Stoppers at one 800 577 Reporting live in Harlem, Donald Miles, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. You know, my audience, as we just continue to go through this, it's, you can hear Dolores you can hear her anguish. You can hear her pleas for justice for her daughter. This 21-year-old beautiful African-American trans fashion design student who was doing nothing wrong but living her best life. She had graduated high school. She had, you know, given back to her community by, you know, helping younger students and kids and youth with, you know, fashion as aspirations at the Harlem Children's Center, taking pictures. And, you know, what's important for us to remember as Janet began this episode is that trans lives matter. Islan's life mattered. Her mother, like she said, she will never forget. And kudos to Dolores Nettles and the entire family who has just loved on and supported Islan. And it just means so much to me because, you know, so many times in our community, we don't get that support from our families. And as I've worked with clients who have shared their stories with me about not having family support and to see Dolores, you know, so diligently fight for justice to assure that things would change, not just for Islan, but those before her and even those after her has just been so inspiring. One of the things that, um, you know, is important here in this case is the gay panic and trans panic defense. And so, um, you know, it's still legal in, um, you know, 40 states. And so at the time of Islam's hateful homicide, you know, there was... a a law in place for the gay panic defense. And so this gay panic defense really was something that James Dixon, you know, and his attorneys utilized as part of his defense. They stated, well, you know, I panicked, um, I, you know, you know, also prefacing the trans women that he had met on August 7th, that he had, you know, been traumatized from that experience and teased and mom, he was drunk and so, Unfortunately, it was the wrong place at the wrong time, and Islan was the unfortunate victim. Well, and because of all of this trauma and alcohol and abuse and all of these things of that nature, he panicked. And that was what was used. But it was Dolores Nettles, and it was all of the other amazing people who worked so diligently to make sure that justice would be served um, for Islan and others to make sure that this gay panic defense would not stay in the state of New York and the city of New York City, you know? And so it was just really, really important to make sure that um, individuals like Lourdes Hunter, um, the director of Trans Women of Color Collective, um, um, her along with 
um, Daquan Andino, um, who was an incredible supervisor to Islan Harman, um, you know, spokespeople, all of these individuals collectively continued to make sure that Islan's case never got swept under the rug, to make sure that Islan's case never, um, you know, went away. And even though, you know, James Dixon only received a 12-year sentence, and, you know, he will be um, eligible for release in 2027, so just within five years from now. So, you know, just to keep that in mind. Um, and for me, I'm always one of those, if you can do it once, you can do it again. And so I do just hope that while he's been incarcerated at, you know, in, in New York, that he has become rehabilitated, possibly. But I'm going to leave that up to you in just a moment when I get ready to play um, an interview that he did uh, with um, Vice TV. And it was just it was just really, really interesting because um, he he really has this idea of what a woman is like a lot of cishet people do there's still such an ignorance to seeing trans women as women seeing us as the women that we are and when that becomes clear we're going to see a lot of reduction in this i just know it But in 2019, when Vice TV interviewed James Matthew Dixon in the New York State um, Corrections, he had this same mentality from 2013, just three days where he confessed, and he has the same mentality there. I want to, you know, just first take you into... um, you know, because I really just, I think this is important too. I really want to take you into James's 2013 confession. So it's going to tie in a little bit into the Vice TV episode. So follow along with it. But what's really great is that it gives you an idea of his conversation in 2013. And then I want to share a little bit of, of that conversation um, that he had with Vice TV um, in 2019. So six years after the hateful homicide. Still allowed in 44 states. Dixon's case brought attention to it, but when we met with him the first time, Around 
And again, that gay and transparent defense, my audience, as you could hear from that 20, August 21st, 2013 interview where he's interviewing with Detective um, John Schwartz and he's, you know, ultimately stating his, you know, his recollection of the beating, again, just within 120 seconds of encountering Islan Nettles, where, you know, again, you could hear him state he saw her, um, he felt food, he felt that his pride was at stake, and all of this ultimately led to him, you know, um, just pushing her, and then when she pushed back, a fight ensued, and he got the better of her. That is what he wanted the detectives to believe, and that was what he stated in August, on August 21st of 2013. But again, I want to take you again, fast forward to April 4th of 2019. And again, it's an interview um, done with Vice TV um, of regarding just a follow-up on the case and really getting into this idea of if James Dixon felt remorse, if he felt any some sense of like um, sympathy or empathy for the family, for Dolores and, and the pain that she's been through and the fact that she's wanted justice for her daughter. And, you know, you still have, and, and when you hear the interview, you, you still have this idea of where he just does not get it. Um, but, you know, again, um, it's really interesting because what's heartbreaking is that you can see that, as I mentioned earlier, is that you hope that within five years that he has until he's released, that he will be rehabilitated. But again, I'll let you be the judge of that here. But the defense has been around for almost 100 years and is still allowed in 44 states. Nixon's case brought attention to it, but when we met with him, his story had changed from what he told the cops. I mean, I really wasn't in a sober mind, you know, sometimes it gave me. I just happened to fall out of radical restraints and it just collided with her to this room. She just knocked it up. The version of events that everyone else there, including yourself, at one point, have said is that you walked down the street, you got into chatting to his own nettles, you believed that she was a woman, you were hitting on her, and someone told you that she was a man. At that point, you got extremely angry. You asked her if she was a man, and you beat her. I don't even sound. How does that really sound to you? You had. I mean, it sounds a lot more realistic than you tripping into someone and then beating someone to death. You don't beat someone to death unless you have some real emotion behind it. I don't know. It's people attack people for no apparent reason. It just happens. Wrong place at the wrong time. And what's wrong people? We've been writing letters to each other, and the letters you wrote. I'm attracted to females and females only. Yes. What do you mean by that? Like someone as yourself. You're female. You're very attractive. Thank you. I don't think we need to get into that. Why is it important for you that you tell this 
version of events. That's what actually happened that night. Nothing in that, nothing in those statements and those videos was, was true. Critics of the gay and trans panic defense say it lets defendants like Dixon change their stories and manipulate the facts to escape accountability. But Dixon is one of the last New Yorkers to actually use it. The state banned it last month. This bill is dedicated to the memory of Matthew Shepard and Islan Nettles, two proud members of the LGBT community who were murdered and whose sexual orientation and gender identity and expression was used against them. I vote aye. Someone being trans doesn't excuse you from murdering someone. You know, like you're, you're taking someone's life, like this is a human being. What would Every girl that hits the floor tonight wants to win. Every girl that hits the floor tonight wants to make a moment, but it's like, I think that there's a lot of lovely girls that don't know that they're lovely. Us as trans women are oftentimes told what is wrong with us, opposed to what's right. And we hear it a lot from family or, or friends or even other trans women, you know? What's wrong with you? What, what, what don't you have? Or, you know, instead of embracing what you do have and, and what's right about My sister, Isla Nettles, born 1992 and resting on since August 22nd of 2013. We remember you, love bug. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Oh, my audience, thank you all so much for tuning in to season three, episode one of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson. Please follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can follow me at Mallory Jenner 90. Please check out our website at ahatefulhomicide.net. We are now in season three. There's a lot of more incredible episodes and a lot of more victims' voices that we're going to be sharing. Um, please continue to follow us on Facebook, share our stories. And again, thank you all so much for your continued support. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.